the word of the Lord today. There is your seated. If you'll just open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. We're not going to begin reading right now, but just open it up there and maybe keep it open there on your Bible app. But I'm going to share a thought with you that God laid on my heart, and I believe it speaks to all of us here, specifically where we're going as a church and what God is doing here at PFAC. So I want to minister with the help of the Lord for a few moments from the subject, saved for a purpose. Someone say saved for a purpose. Salvation is truly a work of God. I can't save you. Nobody in this building can save you. Not even the church can save you. There is one Savior and Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to save. As a believer, as a Christian, as the church, our responsibility is to preach the gospel, is to share the love of Jesus with people. But we don't have the power to deliver. We don't have the power to save. We don't have the power to heal. So truly, this salvation is a work of almighty God. God is in the saving business. Not only does he want to save you from your sins and save you from destruction, he wants to save you from yourself. Because how many of you know that left on our own, we make a mess of things? Without the help of God, our life is like a ship without a sail. It has no direction. It has no destination. So we need Jesus to come in and save us. And I'm so glad that you're here today, my friend, because the Savior, Jesus Christ, is in the building. And he wants to save you, deliver you, and give you a purpose for your life. And so I believe in Genesis 8, the experience of Noah is an illustration of this eternal truth. And as you read this inspired account of Noah's deliverance from the flood, it becomes obvious that his deliverance was a work of God. It was God who spoke to Noah. It was God who gave him the plan for the ark. It was God who sealed him in the ark and preserved him through the 150-day flood. It was God who gave him the word to come out of the ark. His preservation was entirely a work of the Lord. Noah's part was faith. When God spoke, Noah responded in faith. When God commanded, Noah obeyed. Noah did not save himself, but he did put himself in a position where God could save him. The chapter before us today is an illustration of God's purpose in our salvation. You see, God did not save Noah just to save him. He had a purpose for the life and experience of Noah. And can I tell you here today that when God saves you, he saves you for a purpose. Yes, he pulls you out of sin. And like the writer says in the epistles, he said he brings us out of darkness to put us into his marvelous light. And so when God saves you and washes you with his blood and, and writes your name in the Lamb's book of life and through his spirit places you into his body, he does it for a purpose. God did not save you and I 
from a life of sin and hopelessness without a purpose. God has a purpose in rescuing you from the mess that your sin has created. And I believe that we can see it, clearly see the purpose that God had in the salvation of Noah. We will be able to see God's purpose in our salvation. As Peter mentions in his letter to the church, Noah's salvation is literally an illustration of salvation. His was in the realm of the physical, but ours is in the realm of the spiritual. The physical realities of Noah's salvation so beautifully represent spiritual realities in our salvation. And as you look carefully at the text of Genesis 8, it becomes clear that Moses intended for the reader to see a relationship between what happened in the flood and after the flood. Even with what had happened in the beginning. Genesis 8, in my opinion, is the chapter of new beginnings. And so if Genesis 1 is the chapter of creation, then Genesis 8 has to be the chapter of new creation. It is a reminder to us that we can look into this chapter for insights since we are new creations in Christ Jesus. So let's explore together this chapter and see what God's purpose is in our salvation. The first thing I want you and I to know today, number one, is that we are saved to enjoy. Someone say enjoy. God saves us, plucks us out of sin, puts us on a new path, on a new road with a new life and a new purpose so that we can enjoy the life that God has provided us. In the opening verses of Genesis 8, it details the receding of the flood waters. Moses, the writer here, makes it clear that the waters recede because of God's activity. Go with me to Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 1. I'm going to read out of the New International Version. This is what it says. But God remembered Noah. Aren't you so glad that God remembers us? Why is that important? Because it had been raining. It had been flooding. Something that these people had never seen before in their life. It was a flood of, of astronomical proportions. And in the middle of that tempest, in the middle of that Flood, as the waters are beginning to recede, God remembers Noah. I can imagine that for 40 days and 40 nights, as that water came down, I can imagine Noah asked himself a couple of times, where's God? Maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God's so busy with other activity that he's forgotten about me and our family. And, and for that moment, it was silent. All Noah could hear was the rain beating against that ark and that ark being tossed around by the waters that came out from the earth itself. No voice, no response. But yet in the middle of all of that, God remembers Noah. And I just want to take a little side road for a second and tell somebody that's been going through some difficulties and some challenges. You feel like God has forgotten you. You feel like God has maybe moved on from your life. Can I tell you? God remembers you. God knows exactly where you are. God knows everything that happens. But understand something. All of that is a part of his plan because he's taking you somewhere. He has a destination in mind. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. 
and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. The appearance of the dry ground that led to the exit of Noah from the ark was a result of God's activity in the entire process. There is the interesting account of Noah sending out the two birds and trying to determine if the earth was ready for habitation again. Scriptures tell us that in this very chapter that he first sent out the ravens and this unclean bird kept flying back and forth, back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. The raven is an unclean bird because all it will eat is dead flesh. And because of the devastation of the flood, this unclean bird found plenty to satisfy its appetites. And there came a point that when the waters had receded sufficiently, that that bird never returned to the ark. This bird represents the work of the flesh. But then Noah sends out a clean bird, the beautiful dove. The dove flew across the face of the waters, but it could not find a place to rest as it returned to the ark. Noah reached out his hand and brought back the dove in the ark. And after waiting seven days, he sent the dove out again. But this time when it returned, it had a little twig broken off of an olive tree. The olive tree had already begun to bud and give evidence of life. So the, the dove brought back this twig to Noah. Then when Noah sent out the dove the third time, it did not return. Because the earth had become dry to the extent that it was now possible to live in creation. And this is amazing to me because Noah shows us perfectly how we are to make our next move. Sends out the raven. And once the raven finds flesh, it doesn't return. Sends out the dove. And then the dove indicates to Noah what is happening and how the process is going. That is a picture of the Christian life. That we can base our decisions off of the flesh or we can base our decisions off of the spirit. Because the dove in the Bible has always represented the spirit of almighty God. And there are folks that base their decision on the flesh. They use the raven, so to speak. Should I make this move? Should I do this? And Should I do that? And it appeals to my flesh and it seems like it's okay and it seems like it's all right. But can I tell you, the best way to make your decision is led by the Spirit. Does God want me to take this next step? Does God want me to walk through this door? Is God leading me to this? Is God leading me away from that? Can I tell you, as you walk in Christ and in this new life in Christ Jesus, you've got to make your decisions based on the leading of the Spirit. So you're going to decide with a raven or you're going to decide with the dove? Noah made his move because he saw the way the dove had interacted with him. And what I love is that Noah continues to wait until he has a word from the Lord. And on the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, he removes the covering from the ark and he saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And then God said to Noah in Genesis chapter 8, and verse 16, look at what God tells Noah. Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your son and their wives. 
And the record is exact. Look at verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. And you can see here that Noah moves because he receives a word from God. Yes, he was trying to decide what the next thing was to do. And with the interaction with the dove, he had an idea of how God was working. He had an idea of what God was going to do next. But he still didn't move until he had a word from God. Can I tell you, the best decision that you can make is when you're, ma when you're making a decision based on God's leading and God's direction. Many times we're so impulsive. We want to make things happen. Well, you, you don't understand, preacher, I, I got this bill that I got to pay, and I, I got this debt, and I got this thing I got to take care of, and, and I've been waiting on God, and I haven't heard anything, so I'm going to make my own move. I've researched, and this seems like it's the right thing. In this kind of economy, you got to do what you got to do. I understand that, but don't make a decision based on the flesh. Don't be led by the raven. Be led by the dove and wait on the Lord until God speaks to you, until God shows you, because you've got a whole lot to lose. It's funny that we make our decisions based on what we gain. And fathers, I'm talking to you today. We cannot make decisions based only on what we're going to gain. We got to be careful that in the decision that I'm making, I got to be careful because there's a whole lot I can also lose. I got people depending on me. So I can't make an emotional decision. I can't make a fleshly decision. And the Bible says that Noah didn't move until God talked to him. How many of us have made mistakes in our lives and paid consequences because we didn't wait for God to speak to us? And Noah sits there and he waits and God says, okay, Noah, I know you've been there for a while. I know you've been seeking for what the right answer is. Now you can come out. And verse 18 says, Noah came out. And you feel the intensity of the moment when Noah lifts the covering from the ark and looks upon the earth freshly bathed in the waters of the flood. He saw a world that was waiting on him. It was a world that the creator had provided for him. And then the creator speaks to him and his family while they're still in the ark and says to them, come out of the ark. And they did as God told them to do it. And it's a reminder to us that God had saved them so they could inhabit the earth and they, that, that God had preserved from the flood. They were saved so they could enjoy God's creation. What am I trying to tell you? When God saves you, it's so that you can enjoy the new life that he has given you. So that you can move around in the new life that you have received as a new Christian, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's a new world that you walk in. And Noah got back into the world that God had prepared for him. It was very different. It looked different than the world that he left. It was now a new world of faith, of hope, of peace, and of purpose. Can I tell you that God saves us? So that we can enjoy his creation. The Old Testament word for salvation is a very interesting word. The word has in it the root meaning to be wide, to be spacious, or to have room. The idea appears to have been developed from the thought 
of one having been given room and having been given victory. Is not that what Noah found? He moved from the confining quarters of the ark out into a wide open space. He moved out into a spacious creation in which he had room to be and do whatever God wanted him to do. And this is what we have received in our salvation. When God saves his people to bring them into a life of fullness, joy, freedom, hope, and fellowship with God and one another, it's not a constricting life, it's wide open. Why is that important? Because the devil lies to every individual that's about to take a step towards salvation. The devil tells you, you're not going to be able to do this anymore. You can't go here anymore. The church is taking all these things from you now. Are you willing to do that? And it's like, I don't want to lose. I've got to lose so much to give my life to Jesus. But you ask Noah if it's more constraining in the ark or in the world that God provided for him. And Noah steps out of that constricting ark and begins to enjoy the wide open space that God provided for him. Can I tell you this? Living for Christ is not constricting. It's open. It's spacious. And there is room to grow into everything that God has designed for you. You want to know what is limiting? You want to know what is constricting? A life of sin. Because once sin gets a hold of your life, it squeezes the life out of you. Like a boa constrictor, it squeezes the air inside of you. All hope is squeezed out of you. All, all joy is squeezed out of you. The world constricts you. But when you come into the Lord Jesus Christ, it's wide open. There's room to enjoy God's goodness. There's room to become anything that God desires you to be. There's room in God's kingdom. It's important that we understand this because the enemy would love to paint a picture of the opposite. But there's no room in Christ. And you can't move freely. And you can't do this. And you can't do that. And, and that idea is getting into the minds of our young people and our young adults. Well, if you, if you become a Christian, if you give your life to Jesus, then, then it's, it's so constricting. Sin is constricting. The world is constricting. Living outside of God's parameters of blessing and protection, that is constricting. But in God's kingdom, there's room. Look at somebody tell them, there's room. In God's kingdom, there's room for you. In God's kingdom, there's room for you and your family. In God's kingdom, there's room for you to grow and be blessed and become whatever it is that God has designed for you. Sin constricts you and confines you. But salvation is wide open. Sin limits you. But in Christ, we are called to live a life without limits. It's only in Christ Jesus that you encounter true freedom. True liberty. With nothing restricting you. And you're walking and moving. And so when Noah gets off of that ark and he sees a brand new world that God had prepared for him, God wanted Noah to make sure this is for you to enjoy. 
Can I tell you, friend, God has a world for you that he would like for you to enjoy. And the best thing for you is to get out of where you've known and come into the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to save you, allow him to deliver you so you can enjoy the openness of God's kingdom. Are there any witnesses in the building that you found true freedom when you came to Jesus? You found true liberty in a relationship with God. Can I tell you, God had in mind your enjoyment when he saved you. Just as he had in mind Noah's enjoyment of the new creation when he saved him from the flood. So I'm telling a believer here in this room today, if you're not enjoying your Christian experience, you're doing it wrong. If there is no joy in your walk with God, then something's missing. Because Jesus has provided a life for you to enjoy. And when you tap into that enjoyment, oh gosh, all of a sudden you realize it's not a burden to serve Jesus. It's not hard to serve Jesus. It's a blessing. It's fruitful. It's, in, I, I, it's meant for me to enjoy. That's why God has provided this life for you. It's meant to be one of enjoyment. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If our responsibilities as believers, if it's getting too heavy, we're doing it wrong. Our perspective needs to change. Because when God delivers us and saves us, we realize, now I want to serve him out of gratitude. And everything that his word is asking me to do, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. It's meant for my enjoyment. So we were saved to enjoy. The second thing I want us to know is that we are saved to celebrate. Someone say celebrate. In Noah's record of the exit from the ark, we have this beautiful account of worship. With a heart that was full of gratitude and humility before God, Noah felt compelled to offer unto God his gratitude in a celebration of worship. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. All the way down to maybe verse 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. This is interesting to me because this is the very first account that we have an individual in the Bible building an altar. It's inferred earlier in the book of Genesis, but we don't see a literal individual building an altar until Genesis chapter 8. While there was worship, without a doubt, before the flood, there was no account of them building an altar. So out of gratitude, Noah builds the first altar. He takes some of the clean animals, and clean birds for his burnt offerings. You'll find that in the Bible. This must have been a very large sacrifice that he offered to the Lord. He had on board the ark seven pairs of each species of clean animals and clean birds. 
He took at least two of each of these species and offered them to God as a sacrifice. We don't know how many different species there were on board the ark, but it must have been considerable. You know what this speaks to us? This speaks to us of the fact that worship is a sacrifice. Someone say sacrifice. In other words, if we are truly going to worship, it's going to cost us something. And so Noah was so grateful that God had saved him. Noah was so grateful that out of all the people in the world, God chose him and his family to protect them within that ark and to preserve them in the flood. He said, the very least I can do is worship God. You want to know why we worship the way we do? You want to know why we express ourselves the way we do? It's because out of all the people in the world, he saved me. Out of all the people in my neighborhood, he delivered me. Out of all the people on the planet, he washed me in his blood and filled me with his spirit. That's a reason to worship. And now you understand why some of us in this room don't look at it as an obligation. Well, do I have to, Pastor? No, you don't have to, but he didn't have to save you either. Do I have to give? You do not have to. But he didn't have to pull you out of drugs and alcohol and a life of sin. He didn't have to, but he did. He didn't have to pluck you out of the jail system and pluck you out of prison and put a purpose in you. He didn't have to, but he did. So I don't have to worship, but I want to. I don't have to give, but I want to. I don't have to come to church, but I want to because he didn't have to and neither do I, but I want to. And so really, it's not that great of a sacrifice. Jesus saving you actually saved you a whole lot of money too. Ain't that true? Drugs and alcohol was emptying out your bank account. All those supposed friends were taking from you. God saved you. And so when it comes down for offering, it's not that hard to put an offering in the offering plate. When it comes time for tithing, it's not hard to pay a tithe. When it comes time to prayer and fasting and dedication, it's really not that hard because Jesus has saved me from so much. Noah wasn't standing there at that altar going, do I have to, God? Do I have to? God's like, I... I didn't have to. You could be drowning like everybody else right now. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. I wasn't obligated to. I wanted to. And so we respond in the very same way. We don't live the way we live, and we don't do what we do because we're obligated to. We do because we want to. I want to be in God's house. I want to be able to lift up my hands and worship. I want to see my brothers and my sisters. I want to make it to heaven. I'm here 
because I want to. I'm here because of all that Jesus has done for me. Is there anybody in the building that's here because God's been good to you, because God saved you, because God's delivered you? I don't look at the cost of what it cost me. I look at everything it cost him to save me. And so our worship is also of great value. Our worship to God is great in value because we serve a great God who does great things for his people. And so you've got to imagine the sacrifice that Noah was giving God was a great sacrifice. It truly cost Noah. What am I trying to say here? If you're truly going to worship, you can give me that on the screen. If you're truly going to worship God, it will cost you something. It'll cost you. These sacrifices were offered to God by Noah as a burnt offering. This indicates that the entire animal or bird was burned on the altar. Watch this. Noah did not save any part of the animal or bird for himself. The entire animal was offered to God. If that would have been some folks today, they would have burned some but not all. Because pastor, you know, they're saying we're headed into another recession. And so I can't give Jesus everything. I'll just give him a little. I don't know what you're harping about, Pastor. I gave something. What if Jesus would have came and just gave you just something? I'm not going to give you eternal life. I'll just give you a little bit of life. I mean, you don't have to have a whole lot of joy, just a little bit of joy. I mean, you don't need a lot of peace. Uh, I'll just give you some. Thank God that God isn't with us the way we are with him. Oh, somebody ought to shout because you know how you are with God. You ought to give him some praise because you know how cheap we tend to be with God. Oh, you're not being real. That's okay. I'm looking for some real folks right now that say, you know, I've, I've been a little cheap at times with Jesus. And I, I, I've given him some, but, but I haven't given Noah burned the entire animal on the altar. He said, everything on the altar is yours. I'm not keeping any part for myself. And I'm here to tell somebody, you really can't live a life of purpose until you've put everything on the altar. Everything. Everything in the Bible, let me give you a little lesson here in biblical theology. Everything in the Bible means everything. That's what it means. And God doesn't want something from you. He wants everything. And so if I were you today, I would put it all on the altar. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Just lay it on the altar. Say, Yo, Lord, it's all yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I has come into my possession has come from your merciful hand. And guess what? God has the power to multiply it back to you. So the whole animal was offered to God. And that's why some people struggle. In their walk with God, because they won't give everything. You see, when Jesus has everything, it's easy to live for him. 
Because all of a sudden you say, Lord, those are your bills. Remember, I gave them to you last Sunday. I don't know how you live, but that's how I live. Sometimes the problems get so big, I'll say, Lord, they're your people. You take care of it. That's how I live. Lord, this is your house. You're going to help me make the payments. Lord, these children you gave me, they're yours in the first place. You're going to help me train them and lead them in the way that they should go. You get what I'm talking about now? You see it now? But when it's yours, you got to figure it out. That's why you can't sleep. I can. I tell people, my problem is not going to sleep. My problem is waking up. I learned a long time ago, everything I have is God's. And so every problem that comes, he's going to help me sort it out. And that's the reason. There's a word of the Lord for somebody in this room right now. That's why you can't sleep. That's why you haven't been able to eat the way you want to because you're so worried because it's still yours. Give it up to Jesus. Put it in his hands. Put it on the altar. He'll sort it out. He'll work it out. He'll open the door. That wasn't on the screen. That was free. And so when I go, man, I, sometimes I fall asleep before my head hits the pillow. And it doesn't mean my life is easy. Oh, it's not that easy. There's a load I got to carry. But I learned a long time ago with a little job that I first had and the little tithe that I first gave and the little car that God first gave me and the little apartment that my wife and I first lived in. It's all yours, Jesus. And so I gave him the little and now that's greater, it belongs to him too. And I'm trying to help somebody that's been tripping up and has been getting frustrated and has beating their head against the wall. Give it all to Jesus. Even the bad stuff. Even the ugly stuff. And let him sort it out. Well, I'm just trying to help somebody today. Let me give you the next thing. When we worship, we keep nothing for ourselves. All honor, all glory, all recognition and power belongs to him. But that's why some of us keep a little for ourselves. Because when it goes good, we want to say, see what I did? I saved that money. I made that purchase. I pulled my family out of that rut. That may work once or twice, but it won't work the whole time. But I've learned everything. I give God glory. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. All glory belongs to you. It's not mine. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Everything is his. Everything is yours. To you be the glory, Jesus. To you be the praise for everything that you have done. That's wonderful. Praise God. That's a nice car. Praise God. You got a beautiful home. Praise the Lord. You got a great church. Thank the Lord. Praise God. All glory is to him. It's not mine. It's his. But some of us keep a little sweet. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I try. That's what hard work does, you know. You work hard. And again, I'm not against hard work. I'm not against doing what you got to do. I understand all those things. But I'm talking about a life of wor be being worry-free. A life where you can rest and enjoy the goodness of God because it's his. 
I can't tell you how many times as I'm heading toward the pillow, I say, Lord, it's yours. I get a phone call, Jesus, that's yours too. I go to an appointment and come out an hour later with all kinds of messages. These are all yours too, Jesus. One through 25, they're all yours. And yes, there are things that we got to do, but I'm, I see the Lord working and moving and, and, uh, and opening doors and blessing his people and doing wonderful things in his church because why? It's his! Oh God, I'm going too long. I'm sorry. Let, let, let me... So Noah is celebrating God's saving work. And watch this. In his celebration through a sacrifice, he is offering himself and his family to God. What's especially significant is that God was pleased with what he saw. Prior to the flood, the Bible says that God was disappointed with the actions of men. The scripture says plainly that it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. Because of how out of control mankind was at that time. And God was disappointed that he couldn't find anybody. And only one man found grace in his eyes, Noah. But look at verse 21. In contrast, it says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of what? Of Noah's worship. What God saw before the flood, watch this, moved him to announce judgment. What he saw and experienced in the worship of Noah caused him to make a promise that he would never destroy the earth with water again. You want to know how powerful worship is? Worship moved God from judgment to promise. One man worshipped, and God was angry with man. But one man worshipped, it came up to the nostrils of God. He said, I like that. That's good. I'm not going to judge the world again. On the contrary, I'm never going to do And he made Noah a promise. I'm here to tell you, your worship is so powerful. It could take God from judgment to promise. Noah's worship. Give me that on the screen. Noah's worship moved God's heart from judgment to promise. Music may move us, but worship moves God's heart. There's a difference. There's a great difference. Music moves us, and there's nothing wrong with that. God made us emotional creatures to respond that way. But worship moves the heart of God. All of a sudden, when Noah begins to worship, when he begins to build that altar, God says, I'm changing my mind. I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore. I'm going to start it all over again with this man and with his family, and I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to take care of them, and I'm going to do great things. What happened? Somebody decided to worship. And history was changed. What would happen in this building if somebody in the middle of where they are right now would start worshiping God, would start giving God what God deserves, would start surrendering everything to God. You'll change the history of your family. You'll change the direction of your life. You'll change the direction of your children if you worship. And that's why God saved Noah. He saved him so he could build an altar 
and offer sacrifices in worship that would be a pleasure to God's heart. And we can learn from this by looking at the Apostle Paul's admonition in Romans 12 and 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says the best kind of worship is when you put yourself on the altar. Because it's easy to give him something, but he wants everything. And so Paul says, now in this covenant, now in light of God's mercy, because of everything that he's done for us, we're going to lay our lives on the altar. God saved us. So that we can gladly, in celebration of worship, present ourselves to God in the same manner that Noah presented the clean animals and the clean birds on this newly formed altar. You were saved so that you could celebrate God's salvation in worship. And I get ready to close. Number three. The first principle and purpose is we were saved to enjoy. Number two, we were saved to celebrate. And number three... You are saved to multiply. Someone say multiply. I want you to see this. As Noah brought the animals out of the ark, he was told to bring out every kind of living creature that was with him. Look at Genesis chapter 8 and verse 17. Genesis 8 and 17, it says this. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. The purpose of God in saving the animals and the birds was so that they might multiply and fill up the earth after the flood. But then God has a word for Noah and his sons. God placed a special blessing upon Noah and his sons. And this is what he said in Genesis 9 and 1, the next chapter. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. In other words, God was talking about multiplication. Multiplication was a basic part of God's saving purpose. And can I go out and tell somebody here today that when God saves you, it's because he intends for you to multiply. God has called this church to reach our city. We're not here just to reach a neighborhood. We're not here just to reach some. I believe that when God places a church in a city, it's because he intends that church to save the city. And so we've declared here in this church that God has called us to multiply. And I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, as I've ever felt it, Ever before in my life, God is calling every single one of us in this building to multiply. The vision for this church is not just to fill this building. This vision for this church is to fill this city. God told Noah. He didn't tell him, now you go and fill the ark. He's, or you go and build yourself a cute little house and you fill that house. He said, multiply and fill the earth. 
here in this church, God has called us to fill this city with saved people, filled with the Holy Ghost, walking in purpose. That is our calling and that is our responsibility. We need to multiply singers. We need to multiply musicians. We need to multiply ministers. We need to multiply leaders. We need to multiply believers. Our job and our calling is to multiply. We can't be satisfied that he just saved us. Aren't you tired of being the only one in your family that's saved? This year, that can change. Do you not just want to be the only one in that apartment complex that's saved or the only one in that neighborhood that's saved? God wants to save everybody and anybody, and he's going to do it through you and I, through the power of multiplication. But what about if we fill this building? God will give us another one. And that's exactly what the Holy Ghost spoke to me in October of last year. I was praying about a building and property, and I was intense in intercession about that. And the Lord says, you fill that building that I gave you until there's no more room and no more seat you can put in that building, and then I'll give you what you need. So we got some empty chairs still, and we got some rooms still on this corners and in this altar. And so we're not going to worry about buildings. We're not going to worry about properties. We're going to worry about people. I said, we're interested in people, families, people that need to be saved. And you watch what's going to happen. I tell you by the Holy Ghost, when there's no more room in here, then God will give us the land. God will give us the building. God will give us the property that we need. We're not worried about buildings. We're worried about people. Jesus didn't die for buildings. He died for people. He didn't rescue, resurrect for facilities. He got resurrected for people. You'll come to the piano for the J. And so God has called this church to multiply. And so we're not satisfied. Very easily we could sit back and say, look at all the people we already have. Look at the great church that God has given us. And we're grateful for it. This is a great church, and I give God the glory for that. But we are not going to sit on our laurels, so to speak. We are not going to get complacent. We are not going to sit and fold our arms and say, well, we've done all that we could do. No, there's still more work to be done. There's still more souls to be saved. There's still more families that God has called us to reach. There's still more backsliders that God is going to restore. And your family... And your loved ones are a part of that. So PFAC, let's multiply. Let's fill this entire city of Phoenix with people baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's minister to every person we can get a chance to. Let's testify to every individual that God brings across our path. Let's witness to every coworker. Let's witness to every neighbor. Let's not stop until this entire city of Phoenix is reached. So we're not going to stop. We're not going to rest. We're going to keep going until every soul is reached. God created the earth to be inhabited. 
He has provided everything that man would need for his habitation and creation itself so that there would be a man and his family to fill up that creation and to enjoy what God had provided for them. Then he gave Noah and his family the charge to go forth and multiply. Multiplication, hear me, was in God's saving purpose both for those who made up the animal kingdom and for the man and his son. So that they would be fruitful in their attempts to multiply. God blessed let me give you this last quote here. Everything God saves, he blesses. And everything he blesses, he multiplies. This is what God has called us to do. To put it in God's hands. And guess what happens? God blesses it. And God multiplies it. That's why I encourage you today, put your life in God's hand. What you're missing is God's blessing over your life. Put your business in God's hands. Put your finances in God's hands. Put your family in God's hands. God will bless it and it will carry on it, the power of multiplication. And so when God saves you and he saves me, he blesses us. And he intends that we multiply. Oh, yes, we're called to enjoy. Oh, yes, we're called to celebrate. But we're not done. It's time for us to multiply ourselves. It's time for me to come and bring somebody to God's house with me next week. It's time to fill that beautiful car that God gave me with more people that need Jesus. It's time for me to go back to my family, my loved ones, and my friends and say, look, what Jesus has done for me, he can do for you. And watch how God will multiply. Without a doubt, we're not twisting the truth of the text. When we read those words of the Great Commission which Jesus gave to his disciples after the resurrection, in Mark 16 and 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's the same word that he gave to Noah as he came out of the ark. Can I tell you with the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives, we too are to multiply. God saved us so that his house might be filled with new disciples. He saved us that he might have a people out of every tribe and every nation and every language. When God brought Noah and the animals into the ark, he had multiplication in mind. When God saved them, he was already thinking of what the world would look like later. Can I tell you, when God saved you, he was thinking of your family as well. He was thinking of everybody that you're connected to. Oh, yes, he loves you. Oh, yes, he desires to save you. But he's also thinking about others. He's also thinking about the rest of your family and the rest of your friends and everybody that's connected to you. God has multiplication in mind. And I believe when God put this church right here on 7th Street and Baseline, he had multiplication in mind. We're not done. It's a new season, yes. It's a new time. And we've got challenges. But let me tell you, the same God that saved us is the same God that's going to help us reach this city. How many of you believe that God has called you to multiply? How many of you believe that God has called this church to multiply? Would you stand with me today? My question to somebody here today is, are we enjoying the new creation 
in which old things have passed away and all things have become new as God's people? Are we celebrating God's salvation in acts of sacrifice and worship before him? Are we multiplying our new disciples coming into the family of God because we've been saved? Every time God saves someone, a door is opened to a new creation. There is an opportunity given for more worshipers. A possibility of multiplication has become a reality. And I'm appealing today to everyone that has already been saved and those that still need to be saved. God wants you to enjoy a new life in Him. God wants you to celebrate His goodness in your life. And then God wants you to move into your mission. And the mission is to multiply. That's our mission. God didn't put us on this earth just to get rich. God didn't put us on this earth to see how big a house we could have or what kind of job we could have. All those things are wonderful, and God knows how to add on to our life, but our mission on this planet is to multiply. Our mission is to see people saved and become more and more like Jesus. That's our calling. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Not just to have good church and, and go home and live however we want. We got to leave here on a mission. Amen. I got to wake up every morning saying, I was saved for a purpose. God delivered me for a purpose. God brought me back to this church for a purpose. And I'm not going to stop until I see that purpose fulfilled in my life. So here's what I feel to do today. If you are here, maybe you have never given your life to Jesus. You have never been baptized in water in Jesus' name. You're visiting here today or you have some time visiting. And you've heard the word of God. And you say, preacher, I, I, I would like for this church to pray for me. I'm new to all of this and I, I do want to give my life to Jesus at some point. But, but I just, I've got a need in my life and I need someone to pray for me and pray with me. If that's you, why don't you come down to this altar and stand here in the front? If you invited somebody with you to this service, why don't you join them as they come down here to this altar? We're not going to force anybody to become members. We're not going to force anybody to get baptized. We just want to pray for you because you're here for a purpose. Come down, come, come, come. Maybe you've been coming for a little while and you just, you say, I just, I need to take that step, but I wish somebody would pray for me. Why don't you come down? They're coming. Why don't you come? We want to pray for you. God bless you. Come, come. I'll wait a little bit more. It's okay. Come down here to the front. We're just going to pray for you. That's it. I want God to bless you. I want God to take care of you, your family. Your children, your grandchildren. God wants to bless your life. That's why you're here. He wants to show you how powerful he is. He wants to move and work in your life. Just come. They're coming. Get in a little closer if you wouldn't mind. Come on in. Look at this wonderful group of people that we have here this morning. Can we thank God for all of them? Amazing.
Look at me. I just want to give you some instruction here. Today, all God is asking you to just open your heart. That's it. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't have to make us any promises. I'm not asking you to make this your home church. I'm not even asking you if you'll get baptized today. We have two candidates already. But what I would like to introduce you to is a God that loves you. A God that has more in mind for you than you could ever even understand. He wants to take the pressures off your life. He wants to fill you with peace. He wants to give you a purpose that you can wake up every morning and say, this is why I'm living. This is why God put me on this planet. Ultimately, he does want to save your soul. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross, was buried and rose again so that you could experience a new life. So you that are here at this altar today, how many of you have a serious need in your life? Would you lift up your hand? I'm in a serious need. You need God to do something for you that nobody else could do for you. Just lift up your hand. You don't have to tell me what it is, but you've got a serious need. How many of you ever remember when you came to church with a serious need in your life? You do. I, I know I can feel it. And let me tell you something. Because God loves you so much, he's going to take care of that need. He's going to do a miracle in your life so that you can see how powerful he is. You can put God to the test because he will respond. Here's what I need now. I need some Holy Ghost filled men and women to come and find somebody here at this altar. We've got a great group of people. Come on. Let's get mobilized here. PFAC, some men, some women. We've got some women up here, some young people here on the corners, some right here in the middle. Let's get down here and we're going to pray for everybody. That's all we're going to do because we remember what it was like when we came to God with a need. We had more questions than we had answers. And we came to him and God moved and God worked. And we're going to pray for everybody that this, at this altar so that God can bless, that God can work, that God can move. There's a gentleman right here. Somebody come and stand behind this gentleman right here. God is moving. God is moving. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. This is why Jesus came, church. He came to set the captives free. He came to save that which was lost. He came to heal and deliver and save that's why God came. And God is in this room to move and work in this life. Church, would you lift your hands to heaven right now with me? Those that are at this altar, would you close your eyes and would you stretch your hands towards heaven? All that means is we're telling God, I'm surrendering to you. All we're doing is saying, God, I need your help. God, I need you to do for me what I can't.